Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight. Author David Leafs, how a first-class writer, producer, director continues to celebrate the genius of Brian Wilson. On this episode of Taking a Walk, we welcome Peabody and Writers Guild Award writer, director, author, UCLA professor, and author of the new book, God Only Knows, the story of Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys and the California myth. Hello, David. Welcome to Take on a Walk. Hey, Buzz. It's great to be with you. And uh, I sure wish I were, was out there right now with you. I can see the foliage and everything. It looks pretty terrific. Well, it's so nice having you on. What is it like being the authority on someone considered a genius by fans and a massive music community? Um, you know, I, I think Brian Wilson is the authority on Brian Wilson through his music. Uh, I, I believe that everything we really need to know and feel about Brian Wilson, we can we can get from listening to his enormous body of work. And and I'm really um, just an obsessive fan who wanted to know more, who wanted to kind of know everything there was to know about him, so I could share those insights. With, with similarly uh, uh, obsessed fans, what we're often referred to as uh, Brianistas. You've spent a, a, a vast amount of your, your life uh, being close to this uh, amazing man and his music, and then your approach with this new project and with the new work associated with the past work is really quite intriguing and it's filled with so much love and passion. What drove you to take on this chapter, if you will? Well, you know, when I wrote the original book, um, and, and thank you for, for what you said about the, the new edition, the, the, the original book was written by a 25-year-old journalist who was uh, obsessed at both getting at the truth and kind of grabbing the world by the collar and saying, 
hey, would you pay attention to this guy, Brian Wilson? He's really important. Because I felt that the Beach Boys image had subsumed him. They'd have been, he had been caught up in this kind of fun in the sun, car girls and, and the beach. And it, it had nothing to do with really why he mattered to the world of music and why he matters to the world in general. Um, this, this new edition came about, in a sense, almost by accident, because I wasn't planning on writing it. Uh, I wanted to, to, to really do an anthology of everything I had written on the subject, in, including the original book. Um, but the publisher wasn't interested in that. He said, we'd love to bring out your original book if you'll do a, a, what they refer to as a massive update so that people would feel who had the book from 1978 would feel they were getting something worth buying it in a sense, two books for the price of one. And what I was able to do, I think in the new edition is, is look back as an elder statesman on, on the journey I had gone on with Brian since, since the book had, had come out and, and, and give the, give the reader a sense of what it's like to be inside his world. To, to not just be the fly on the wall, but a participant in, in, a, in a lot of it from the point of view of both a friend and, and sometimes a collaborator. Talk about the friendship aspect of it, which is, is so significant and so beautiful that you, that you write about and obviously is part of your life. And you obviously had some, some business sort of relationships in that regard with Brian as well. But can you talk about the difficult balance around the friendship and the fact that when writing this, you certainly have to be careful about now not betraying that friendship. Uh, the, the friendship was like Brian's life, a roller coaster. He went through some extraordinarily difficult times uh, during, during the, the first uh, decade or so that I knew him. He, he was under the control of, of a so-called doctor uh, when that when that period ended, Brian refers to it like as if he I was in prison for nine years. So when a friend of yours is in prison, um, it's it's a pretty difficult to maintain the friendship and at the same time try to to you know help promote who he is in the real world. Um, you know, it, it's little Stockholm syndrome, a, a little bit of a very difficult maneuvering to, 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 to put the friendship first and foremost. And that's really been what it's all about. The, the times that he and I have worked together, um, my late wife was, was very smart. She said, you can never work for Brian Wilson. Everyone who goes to work for him eventually no longer becomes his friend. They're an employee. So I never worked for him. It was a record company might hire me or I might I get a television network or a, st a studio to finance a film or a project about him because I, I, for some reason, it became my mission in life to promote his genius. And you're talking about that era uh, around uh, Dr. Eugene Landy, Correct. which, uh, my God, uh, we had known about it to some degree. There was some writings about that when that emerged around that time certainly and it was quite shocking then but then going deeper and understanding it certainly through your lens um what a terrible time for him it, it was a terrible time for a lot of reasons but i think that the the now that we can look back on it 
Dr. Landy did two things that uh, no one would have anticipated when he was hired. Brian Brian was was in a death spiral when 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 Dr. Landy was hired the second time. Something had to be done. Um, I was not a family member. I was not, you know, in a, in a place where I could do anything. So the Beach Boys hired Dr. Landy and gave him total control. The first time he had been hired, he didn't have total control. This time he was given total control, and he was indeed able to save Brian's life. Could someone else have done that? I, I believe so. Um, but that's, as, as Brian's late brother Carl said, when the prayer went out, uh, Dr. Landy's the one who answered it. So he saved his life. But then he did something that the Beach Boys were not expecting. He took Brian into a solo career. And I don't think that would have happened with in, under any other circumstances because the Beach Boys business up until that time depended upon Brian Wilson being part of the Beach Boys. When they signed a contract with the Columbia Records in the late 70s, it specified that a certain number of songs on each album had to be Brian Wilson songs. So, so he, he was crucial to, to the ongoing business. Uh, when Dennis Wilson died, they needed a Beach Boy on stage, and there's Brian. But, you know, they needed Wilson brothers on stage to, to call it the Beach Boys. So he was part of the family business. Uh, Dr. Landy took him away from that. In, in, in a, he did it terribly. I mean, he was just impossible to deal with. Um, and, and we all did our best um, to, to get past this, this. He wasn't a snake in the grass. He was a snake in plain sight. Um, but but uh, you know, Brian is, is, is really the ultimate survivor. If, if you ask him, you know, where does he get the strength to do what he's done? Because he's now 80. He says, my last name is Wilson, so I guess I have a lot of willpower. Um, and, you know, the, the, when you to create great art, it doesn't come out of happiness. It, and, and so Brian, has, from the time he was a child and was abused, he's gone through this terrible emotional beating, if you will. And he's, he's expressed it in his music. And, you know, he created these beautiful melodies and harmonies that we get to enjoy. And the depth that's in them that makes them timeless come, comes out of the pain that he's experienced. You know, I was thinking of another artist, Rick Danko from the band, obviously the subject of the song Stage Fright, and thinking of Brian's difficulties, obviously, around that. And then thinking of both of their, their genius, really, in terms of, just as you said, the pain coming out in such beauty it's just striking really the the detail that you that you back up here into the the storyline and in, in terms of those challenges thank you you know I, I really was careful not to exploit those difficulties but only give the reader just enough so they could understand the, the challenges he was facing as an artist one could write an entire book um, and entire books have been written about the Beach Boys and Brian that that do go into kind of the, the National Enquirer's aspect of it. That was not my interest. My interest was in providing insight into this great artist. Can you tell the story of that uh, famous first meeting that you had with Brian? 
the the, the one on the basketball court. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's I'm in, I moved to California, and about eight months after I'd gotten here, I was at the YMCA with a friend from college shooting baskets. My friend Barry, and two guys walk onto the court. One of them is about six foot seven, had just retired from the NBA. A guy named Stan Love, who was the brother of Beach Boys lead singer Mike Love and the father of NBA superstar Kevin Love. With him was Brian Wilson. And to, to say I was, as the British would say, gobsmacked, it was like, of all places to meet Brian Wilson, this was the least likely place because the legend was he, you know, according to the legend, he never left his bedroom. And here, here he is at the Y shooting baskets. And, uh, you know, more than anything, I couldn't wait to tell my friends back east, you'll never guess who I met and how I met him. Um, it, 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 there was nothing really memorable other than, the, than the, the fact of it, except that he really wasn't all that interested in playing team basketball. As soon as he got the ball, he shot it. He played no defense. He was all, all offense, no D. The Celtics would not have been happy with him. <laughs> but did you think that there were going to be other times you would meet him after that? Well, I, I had no idea. You know, six months or so prior to that, I had run into his brother Dennis on the streets of, of Santa Monica and, 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 said, and walked up to Dennis with great overconfidence and said, Hi, Dennis. My name is David Leap. I moved to California to write a book about your brother, Brian. And, and I think I can still hear the echo of his laugh because it was an absurd notion. Um, and he just said, good luck. Um, he didn't offer to introduce me to Brian or take me to his house or anything like that. Because Brian is a notoriously bad interview. And, and so how was I going to write a book about him? But through a, through a remarkable series of, of circumstances, within uh, within. Three years of my, my meeting Dennis on the streets of Santa Monica, uh, I had a book in the stores. Now, when you, in 2021, uh, reread your original work for, I think, the first time, tell me how difficult that was. It's really, it's really difficult to reread the book from the point of view. The, the book is intense. It's also dense with information. It's it's you wouldn't call it a breezy read, um, but it told the story. I, I I was really pleased that I didn't feel the need to change anything, and I wanted the the, the reader of this new edition to see what I had written back then when I was twenty five, and and bookend it with the new material that I that I wrote last year. the the, the original book. The only there was one chapter I wasn't thrilled with, which was a chapter called Codetta, which was was just kind of a, a, a just the facts, ma'am, kind of chapter of, about some re, some Beach Boys history in the late seventies. But but otherwise, I felt that I had I had told the story uh, the way I had wanted to, and, and that it held up. You know, there's a, a gigantic author's note in the new edition where I look back on that 90, 1978 book. And talk about things I might have done differently, because there is a tone of um, kind of righteous indignation, maybe self-righteous indignation in, in the original book. And, and, and I had to ask myself the question, who was I to say this? Who was I to, to make these judgments? 
So I think that the new material is, first of all, the new material is more personal. It's, I didn't have to really interview anybody for the, for the update because of what I lived with Brian. But, but the original book, uh, and this is, uh, this is really uh, self-righteous, I think of it as, as kind of my Old Testament about Brian. And it has the book of Audrey Wilson and the book of Gary Usher. And all the people I interviewed told me their Brian stories. And I was kind of the, the faithful scribe bringing it all together. This, this new edition is, is myself and a, and a few, few close friends you know, talking about what's happened since, since we all got to know Brian and become his friend. Brian has a quote uh, that he gives to his friend Jerry Weiss. I give thanks to every day of life, which is, is so simple and so stunning and so beautiful. Can you talk about things that maybe folks may not know about Brian Wilson? Absolutely. I think the first thing to know about him that matters is he is the, 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 the sweetest, a most sincere person one could ever meet. There's not a, not, not even a mean uh, half of a bone in his body. He, he is since he, when he says something, he means it at that moment. And Brian lives in the moment. That's one of the things that's, that's unusual about him is um, his, his moods are mercurial as a person. He, I think he suffered a lot, so much abuse that he just, almost like a dog that's, you know, been rescued from a shelter. He loves kindness. Um, and he, tr- and, and, and it's been very difficult for him to trust people because from the very beginning of his career, there have been people who have worked hard to make money off of Brian. So, so he's, he's, he's had a lot of disappointments in the people who, he has known some who's related to, some who he's loved, who, who did not put his interests first, put their own interests first. And, and, and so he's, he's definitely been wounded. Uh, the, the, the nine years in prison with, with Dr. Landy being both the worst emotional wounds, but also uh, Dr. Landy was, was dosing him with medications um, that caused incalculable damage to him. But he's intact. He is, he is still Brian Wilson. He knows how much the music has affected the world. He loves how much his, his music has impacted people. He, he, he really appreciates the feeling that he gets back from the audience. He doesn't always show it in concert, but he, but he loves th- that vibration. And, and he's kind of like a tuning fork. What is, what is he tuned to? He's tuned to the station of unconditional love. So he responds to that. And, and so his music is filled with that for, for us, the listener. But when he's in front of 3,000 people and he feels it from them, it's just, it's just it's, it's as great a feeling as he gets, perhaps with the exception of a good piece of cheesecake. And there's that beautiful picture of you guys at a birthday party. Was that cheesecake? (laughs) 
Uh, actually, that was it. Was my uh, my 70th birthday party? He and uh, four of his children uh, took took me and my, myself and my fiance out to dinner, and uh, that was birthday cake in the picture. But he 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 had a he had his own cheesecake for dessert that night as well. I love it. You know, you and I share a mutual friend, the late Pete Fornital, oh, who sure. I uh, worked with while I did part time at WNEW FM in New York. Can you? Tell me what you think Brian and certainly the Beach Boys music meant to radio then and now. Well, you know, in, in the 1960s, um, the Beach Boys string of hits right through Good Vibrations was America's musical answer, if you will, to, to the British invasion. Um, and it spread around the world. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. There's something in that music that connects with people who don't speak English. And we were backstage at a concert in, in Tokyo, and, and a man said to Brian, in, in very, very broken English, your music makes my heart sore. And I think that's what his music, the Beach Boys sound, those beautiful harmonies and melodies, did for everybody. The, the, their their image, the Beach Boys image, is is very separate from what the music is. So so the music was a, was a mainstay on radio for four or five years in the '60s, and then in the early '70s, people like Pete Fornatel were were great champions on FM radio of of the of the music the Beach Boys were making as a group, their best albums as a group, which included Brian. But starting with Sunflower through Holland, FM radio discovered the Beach Boys with because they were making FM style music, if you will. And ironically, um, I started working at WNEW FM in the summer of 1973. I was a desk assistant. And it was three or four days after Brian had shown up and, and in, been interviewed by Pete. And, and I remember I was driving in my car, and I love to record stuff off the radio and television. And I remember Pete Fornatel saying something like, and I'll do a bad impression, those of you who are regular listeners to the show know what a thrill it is for me to say, welcome, Brian Wilson. And it was like, how could Brian Wilson be on his show? And I sped home, and I got a cassette in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the recorder and taped the interview and listened to it. And it was just like unbelievable that Brian was there. Now, why was he there? His father had just died and he couldn't deal with it. So he'd gotten on a plane and flown to New York. I mean, it's, it's, and, and then three days later, I started the station. I mean, it was just, it was, there, there are a lot of serendipitous moments in, in my story for sure. And in, in my, my, my friendship and, and work with Brian. That's so funny. So we were both members of the NEW staff. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so it, great. It was, a great. it was a great place to work. Oh, my God. And, you know, guys like Pete and certainly Scott Muni, the art of the interview, really, uh, they understood it and appreciated it. And uh, they created this respectful environment, as you know, you know, with the artists. The artists could feel very comfortable. They could let their hair down. Obviously, there's the famous interview with 
John Lennon dropping in to see Dennis Elsis. So that was part of a magical period. And Pete was uh, a sweetheart and at the foreground of that for sure. Uh Absolutely. Well, the, the artists understood that the people who were playing their music, and in many cases, the only people who were playing their music, were doing it out of genuine passion. They weren't doing it for ratings. They were doing it because they loved the music and, and wanted to spread the gospel of Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys or John Lennon or, or whoever it might be. And so the, the, there was a response from the artists because they appreciated that, that their music was being heard. On a previous episode of Taking a Walk, gentlemen, I'm not sure if you know him, you probably do, but you may not, named Bill Porcelli. Oh, I know Bill, uh, sure. Yeah, Bill Bill was on Taking a Walk, and uh, Bill described this magical scene of observing Brian Wilson in a studio. Can you describe your view of seeing Brian in a studio? Well, first, I got to tell you that Bill Corcelli and I've been friends since 1990, and and it was Bill who arranged for me to interview. He wasn't yet Sir Paul McCartney, but I interviewed Paul McCartney for a half hour just about Brian's Pet Sounds album. So Bill and I have been pals forever. Brian in the studio is he is very calm. He's a leader. He's in control. He knows exactly what sounds he wants and how to get them. He knows, he knows which instruments he wants to hear. He knows what he wants them to play. He has the record in his head when he walks in there. And now he needs to extract those sounds from the musicians first and then, and then through the vocals. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to see because it's, it's, it's a secret. Nobody knows until he, he tells you what he needs. And, and uh, I was having dinner last night with two of Brian's band members, uh, Darian Sahanaja and, and Proben Gregory. And we were talking about one of those recording sessions where, where, where Brian you know, was telling Proben what he wanted him to play. And Proben gave him two choices. And he said, I like the first one. And he knew what he wanted. He's, he's a master of sound. He's a master of vibration. And it comes from spending his whole life obsessed with music. How is Brian today, these days? Brian today is, is you know, he's, he's, he's 80. So he's, he's um, what would Frank Sinatra say, uh, September, November? He's, you know, he's certainly in the autumn of his, the late autumn of, of his years. Um, he still loves music. He still loves food. Uh, he loves Jeopardy. He, he, he loves to tour, which is the most surprising thing of all to say, because up until he started touring as a solo artist in 1999, he did not like to, to go, go on the road. But he loves to be with his musicians, who are really his family. He loves hearing his music played with the heart and feeling and, and, and perfection with which they play it. He loves the crowd's response, and he loves ordering a good room service steak. <laughs> That's great. You know, he has a great quote about music. Uh, music is God's voice. And um, we frequently, with guests on this podcast, talk about why music is so special and, and what it means and, and, and how incredible uh, as a gift it is to us. 
Talk about it from your perspective on music and obviously the music of Brian Wilson and what it means. Well, for me, music has always been my secular religion. It's the place where I went as a little kid with a transistor radio with an earplug in my ear to my first record player, to my first records. That music has, has, has always been the thing that evoked the, the most emotion from me. Um, I knew nothing about Brian Wilson until, until I read a, an article in 1971 in Rolling Stone. And, uh, you know, I was a young journalism student. I had been reading about Edward R. Morrow, and I was like, I'm going to make it my mission to tell his story. And the reason was the music was so powerful. They're, they're from, my, my first favorite Beach Boys song was In My Room. There's, there's a melancholy to that and so much of my favorite Beach Boys music. Now, why that appeals to me, I, I guess we would need a psych, psychiatrist couch to figure all that out. But there's something in, in, his, in, in his high, high falsetto, the whine of it, the, the, the melody, the harmonies, the way he puts them together. There's something in all of that that touches my heart like nothing else does. And, you know, as I've gotten to know Brian through the years, and he'll say things like, you know, sometimes I sit down on the piano and I feel like, you know, it's God's, God's placing my fingers on the keys to place certain notes in, in, in making the song. And, you know, when, when he started work on, on the, the once infamous and now famous Smile album, he said, I'm writing a teenage symphony to God. Um, Brian Wilson believes, as you said, that music is God's voice. And if he believes it, who, who am I not to go along with that belief? I mean, he he knows it. it's, uh, you know, I once said, God whispers, and the great, all-time great songwriters, they hear those whispers. Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Paul McCartney, so many of, of the people of our generation, we were lucky to come along in this amazing time of, of a of a musical renaissance. And Brian Wilson is right up there with, with, with all of them. And, and many of them admire him, uh, you know, beyond all, all measure. And, and what's the explanation for it? Well, it's a gift. Where that gift came from, God only knows, which is one of the reasons that's the title of the book. The book's a chronicle of the decades, the people, the emotion, and one man's journey followed brilliantly by David Leaf. Thank you so much for being on Taking a Walk. Thank you, Buzz. My pleasure. Happy to take a walk with you anytime. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.